0: Well, welcome to the bill bennett show my new free podcast dedicated to translating trump john hinderocker is the president of the center of the american experiment great organization writer for powerline blog and as a retired lawyer john welcome and thanks so much for being with us thanks
1: for having me on bill
0: i want to talk to you about the quote other scandal uh, the scandal hiding in plain sight about which uh, you have written extensively and thoughtfully But uh, we are right in the middle of the James Comey situation, and you posted this morning. What is the most uh, salient uh, fact or feature of this whole uh, uh, story, as far as you're concerned?
1: Well, as you know, Bill, James Comey uh, uh, had his uh, uh, written testimony to the Senate Intelligence Committee released yesterday, and I read it, along with many others. And my takeaway uh, was that President Donald Trump uh, comes off a lot better uh, in Comey's telling than Comey himself does. Uh, it, I think Comey comes off like a snake, first of all. He, he describes how every single time he spoke with President Trump, the first thing he would do, he'd barely be out of the room before he would get, up his lap, get on his laptop and start typing up a, uh, a summary of the conversation. And then he would take that memo Uh, Back to the FBI office and he would go over it with the senior leadership of the FBI. And the impression that you get is that the senior leadership of the FBI was scheming against President Trump. And I think that's been confirmed by the leaks that have come out from that same group uh, ever since. Uh, so, so I don't think Comey, in his own uh, telling, uh, comes off particularly well. The, the real question, it seems to me, is, uh, so, so in all these conversations that he recounts with President Trump, is President Trump doing anything wrong? I know people disagree about this, but my answer is no. Uh, there are two things that President Trump uh, talks to Comey about that are, that are substantive. And the first we already knew about it was already reported based on one of these memos, and that is uh, Trump's request, uh, or hope, rather. It wasn't a request, but it was an expression of, of hope that Comey would be able to go easy on General uh, Mike Flynn, who uh, is a good guy, according to, to Trump. And uh, the Democrats are trying to spin this as pressure and possibly even as obstruction of justice, uh, but I, I don't see it that way. Uh, I think his his language uh, seems to have, have been very carefully chosen, and 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 what he said was, "I hope, I hope you'll be able to to leave Fled alone." So he's implicitly conceding that it's that it's Comey's call, it's the FBI's decision, and he's just expressing a hope. About what Comey is going to find as a, a way to do, and also expressing the view that Flynn is a good guy uh, with which uh, with which Comey agreed, i don't see anything wrong with that
0: all right let me let me ask you because there was a question uh, at a press conference in May with the President of Columbia, uh president trump was asked uh, had he had he asked Comey uh, or demanded of Comey that he stop or slow the investigation into General Flynn. And President Trump said, no, no, no. That OK?
1: Well, I don't think it's inconsistent with what uh, Comey says in his prepared testimony. Now, Comey quotes Trump as saying, I hope you can see your way clear to letting Flynn go. I, you know, It's maybe a subtle difference, but to me it's a real clear difference. That's not saying I want you to stop the investigation. It's simply expressing a hope that his investigation uh, will be favorable to Flynn. Yeah, And and the second area that uh, Trump talks about, according to Comey, and again, bearing in mind that this is Comey's account, not necessarily 100% accurate, but it's what he he wrote in these memos and is now going to testify to the Senate Intelligence Committee. Uh, The second thing is that Trump is telling Comey that this whole... Uh, to do about Russia is a cloud on his administration that is making it more difficult for Trump to do his job. And at one point, he puts it as making it more difficult for him to make deals on behalf of the American people, which I'm sure is true. And so he's saying to Comey, is there some way that we can lift this cloud? And in particular, he, he says that Comey has told him multiple times that he, President Trump, is not under investigation. And could Comey say that publicly? Hoping that that would help to lift the cloud. And Comey kind of hems and haws. And my recollection is that at some point, Comey finally did say it publicly. I think he said it either in testimony or a prepared. Uh, statement uh, that Trump was not, in fact, under investigation. So the second area that that uh, Comey uh, quotes Trump talking about is, a, is a, I think, a perfectly legitimate request. And I believe it's a request that Comey eventually went along with. And in any event, uh, he confirms in, in this written testimony that what, what Trump was asking him to say was true. Trump was not under investigation. So so I think if you peel away the layers here and, and ask yourself, what is Comey really saying in this testimony, uh, I don't think it reflects uh, badly on Trump, uh, and that depends on, on uh, I guess, what judgment you make about this expression of hope
2: yeah. uh, that he won't yeah. have to
1: go after, that Comey won't have to go after General uh, Flynn. I do think it reflects rather poorly on on Comey uh, as a snake, as a guy who, you know, was almost spying on the president. You know, every time he spoke to him, he would type out a memo and then he would take it back and he would chew over the memo with the senior leadership of the FBI. And I think it's pretty clear that these guys, uh, like a lot of people in Washington, viewed Donald Trump as a kind of alien presence. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm, he wasn't mm -hmm. one of them. You know, he was not an insider. they, They treat him like an alien.
0: Uh, let me ask you this, because uh, I, I, I'm frankly confused a little bit on some of the commentary, not yours, but others. FBI is part of Justice, part of the executive branch, correct? Yes. It was within the power of the president to fire Comey. Could Absolutely. the president have yeah. said, I, as the head of the executive branch, I want you to drop the investigation into FLINT?
1: Um. You know, he. I, I, I believe, um, Bill, that, that, the, that the answer to that question is mostly a matter of tradition. In other words, right. uh, it, it's like the Saturday Night Massacre. Remember uh, Nixon right. fired right. Um, Elliot Richardson? No, no. Uh, and Nixon Cox. fired Archibald Cox, rather. Right. You right. know, and a couple of people refused to do it, and then somebody finally did. Um, And I think the president could could give that order. But what it would be violating is the tradition of independence at the FBI.
0: Okay. He could do it. Constitutionally, he could could do it. Okay. Okay. So uh, what then in the minds, let me put it this way, in the minds of the people who are out to get Trump, lot of the Democrats, liberals, um, uh, they're saying that he obstructed justice. What would obstruction of justice look like here I don't think it's here, but what would it look like? What would he have had to say or do?
1: Well, I suppose uh, if, he, uh, if he said to Comey something like, uh, you stop this investigation, or I'll have the Secret Service uh, uh, kidnap one of your children or something. You know, I okay. That would be obstruction of justice. If he went to a witness... Uh, somebody who had information about about General Flynn's dealings with the Russian ambassador, or whatever it is that they're that they're looking into, and and tried to get that that witness to to lie okay. about it. Okay, that but that's a that,
0: that's a separate kind of thing. But he could have said, I mean, consistent with the first question and your answer, he could say, "You drop," could say, "Apart from tradition, you drop this investigation, or I'm going to fire you."
1: Or just you drop the investigation. Period. Okay. You know, and, and what we're dealing with here, it, 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 the FBI is in kind of a funny position. I mean, it, it, the director is an executive branch official. He ultimately reports to the president. He, he, you know, he serves at the at the pleasure of the president, who can fire him at any time for any cause or for no cause. Uh, but there is that tradition of independence. Okay. And uh, I, I'm not certain. I don't, I don't know that any of us know for sure. You know, it's not like we have a lot of precedent here. Uh, exactly where the president's rightful authority stops and obstruction of justice All begins. Right.
0: I know we're a bit in the weeds here, but, but but even though there is that tradition, there is this constitutional power, there is this power in the executive branch. Uh, and um, there's no way, it seems to me, even if he had said, you you dropped this investigation to Flynn, you drop this investigation to Russia, <clears throat> that you could call that a high crime or misdemeanor.
1: Well, I don't think so, uh, okay. and, and here again, you know, um, the, the Constitution's definition of an impeachable offense is uh, is vague, and it's ultimately uh, sure. up to the House of Representatives to decide what constitutes a high crime or misdemeanor. What I think, Bill, is that this whole thing is so far off in the weeds and is so far removed from being anything that uh, should even raise the, the, the slightest okay. question of impeachment okay. that, that the whole thing is kind of absurd.
0: Good. Last point here, John. Uh, There's another, um, part of this testimony, Comey, where it seems to me very much exculpatory, the president, where the president says, you know, I want to know if, uh, you know, anybody in my campaign did anything, any of these people, and you need to tell me that, uh, and, um... Yeah, That certainly doesn't suggest he was trying to shut down the investigation into Russia.
1: No, that's exactly right. I think he refers to satellite members of his administration right. or something like that. Smaller. And if somebody okay. did Campaign. something wrong, we should find out about it.
0: Yep. No, exactly.
1: All right. So
0: by your lights and by the lights of a lot of people, including me, uh, there 's not much uh, there there, but there is a there somewhere. there is a big scandal, as you say, hiding in plain sight. What is that big scandal
1: you know it 's so remarkable uh, we 've got these bloodhounds with microscopes or you know magnifying glasses desperately searching for a for a, a, a president trump scandal but there 's a real scandal it 's come out publicly it has been disclosed in part by a federal judge it 's sitting there, uh, and hardly anybody seems to be interested in it. Uh, but it's very, very important, uh, because as we all know, the, uh, American intelligence agencies have been given very, very broad powers, and, and they are subject to a rather, uh, light, uh, form of oversight, uh, by the federal courts. And, and ever since World War II, we have really relied on a trust in the good faith and the patriotism of the intelligence agencies not to abuse their powers by turning them against American citizens or by using them to to further the powers of the administration that is currently in charge. And we now know that, that, that to some degree at least, that trust was misplaced. And the reason we know this is because of proceedings that have been going on in the Foreign Intelligence uh, Surveillance Court. And a decision came out at the end of April uh, by Judge uh, Rosemary Collier, Uh, in which she describes a series of events that have unfolded over the last year or so, where right at the end of the Obama administration, with with only a couple of months to go, uh, Justice Department lawyers came to her and said, "Ah, Judge, there's something that we need to tell you. (laughs) It turns out uh, that they they told the judge, uh, acting again as the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court supervising all these procedures, uh, they told Judge Collier that there had been multiple and massive violations of the procedures that the Obama administration had agreed to with the court in order to prevent spying on Americans. And um, we can talk a little bit about about the details of that, which are a little bit uh, murky and they're they're very complicated. But Judge Collier wrote uh, in a published opinion that... um, That the failure of the Obama administration, the National Security Agency, to disclose these violations sooner represented, quote, an institutional lack of candor at the National Security Agency and created a very serious Fourth Amendment issue. So we now know that uh, the NSA, uh, in the last years of the Obama administration, was violating these agreed upon procedures so as to illegally access and search for. Information not about foreign spies overseas or foreign agents overseas, which is the NSA's mission, but rather about Americans here in the U.S.
0: That's amazing. Um, is this being investigated? It's not getting a lot of attention in these hearings, but is this being investigated by somebody, someone, some congressional committee, some special counsel?
1: I don't know, Bill. You know, uh, I, yeah. I, I have, I have uh, laid out some questions that I think need to be answered, including, uh, what did Barack what are Obama they? know and when did he know it? I mean, this is a okay. very, very serious matter. And you have to, you have to combine it with the fact that uh, late in his administration, Barack Obama issued an executive order that allowed much wider sharing of, of this information that was coming out of the National Security Agency among other federal agencies. And, you know, we don't know this for sure, but it's certainly very easy to imagine uh that some of these violations were deliberate uh that they were searching for in this vast database that the NSA has searching for information about political opponents members of uh, of Donald Trump's team obtaining that information with these illegal searches and then disseminating it uh more widely in the Obama administration so that it could be used against Trump i mean uh, that's the fear uh and the circumstantial evidence that we've that we've seen so far is is strong
0: Uh, Yes, it is. Um, I I watched the hearings with uh, Mike Rogers and uh, Dan Coats and uh, Rosenstein and and, uh, the uh, acting head of the FBI. What's his name? Doesn't matter. I I watched the hearing with those guys and uh, very little attention was paid to this. These are the guys who would know something about NSA and uh, uh, inappropriate uh, spying on people and inappropriate... uh, Uh, data gathering and unmasking but uh, at some point we hope uh, republicans will get on this as they say up there in Minnesota Viking land where you are, the best uh, defense is a good offense. Best offense is a good defense. So, I mean, a little, little offense here. But, but, I mean, but the point isn't just tit for tat. These are these are real and serious offenses uh, we're
3: talking
1: about. Well, we've about. got a federal judge, I'm repeating myself, but, but, you know, we've got a federal judge here, a respected federal judge, finding in an order that there has been a, quote, institutional lack of candor at the National Security Agency. Now, that's a very big deal because, you know, we rely on these agencies, whether it's the NSA or the CIA or the FBI, they have they have great powers. And, and we rely on them to exercise those powers responsibly and in keeping with the law. And with an agency like the NSA, you know, they, they can do a lot of stuff that you and I are never going to find out about. Okay. By its nature, it's secret. And if they're not acting in good faith, uh, that's a big problem.
0: All right. Well, you keep writing about this and reminding us. I will keep talking about it as well. I think you're absolutely right. And hopefully it'll come to uh, come to broader attention. Anything else, uh, John Hinderocker, while we have you, that you want to say either about the Comey inquiry, uh, or the Comey testimony, uh, or uh, this uh, scandal hiding in plain sight?
1: You know, I think we've really pretty well covered it, Bill. The only thing I guess I would add is that if you, if you read Comey's written testimony, uh, maybe I'm sure not everybody will react to it the way I did, but I, I felt a lot of sympathy for Donald Trump because what you see there is a guy who is really trying to do his job on behalf of the American people and is behaving in a way that, in my view, is reasonable and honorable and humane, although maybe not always in accordance with Washington, D.C. customs. But he's in a snake pit. You know, here, here's a guy who's, who's uh, a significant player in the executive branch, the FBI director. And every time the, the FBI director has a conversation with him, he goes off and writes a memo, and then he goes and discusses the memo with the high command at the, uh, at the FBI. And, uh, you know, uh, Donald Trump uh, is is surrounded by enemies. And that really comes through in this uh, Comey testimony. The other thing that that I might add is, Comey makes a point, and I'm not sure why he makes this point, but he says that he would always write a memo every time he talked to uh, President Trump, which he says is something he did not do with President Obama. He never wrote memos about conversations with President Obama. But he also says that in more than three years as FBI director under Obama, he only had one conversation with Obama one-on-one except for the time when Obama said goodbye to him, and he never spoke to Obama on the telephone. I think that's astonishing. Yeah. And I think what it reflects is that uh, Barack, Barack Obama had uh, very little interest in what we think of as the traditional duties of the presidency, like law enforcement.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of uh, Jim Woolsey's comment, who was uh, CIA exactly. director for Clinton. He said, you know, people thought when that uh, Aaron plane was trying to land on the White House lawn that, uh, you know, it was Jim Woolsey coming in, insisting on an appointment with President Clinton because he'd never seen him. You know,
1: <laughs> you know, but, I, I almost added yeah. that to my post bill. I know, okay, I know exactly okay. what you're talking about. It was, it was yeah. stunning. The head of the CIA, and he, he you know, yeah. he, he like virtually never met the president.
0: But it God seems so. to me, it seems to me, John, uh, uh, sitting here inside the snake pit, as you called it, or one might say the swamp, that. Um, You know, you said you you feel sympathy for Donald Trump's trying to do the work of the American people. Everybody's distracted about this whole thing. Um, This is really a case, uh, not in terms of the truth, but in terms of what you're seeing uh, of where people start. If you hate Trump, you don't see it this way. You see it as Comey boy keeping records, and that's the way to do it. It's not a snake in the grass. He's a conscientious uh, American citizen who's trying to document the pressure the most powerful man on earth is putting on him. If you like Trump, you you, you see it your way. Um, what's my proof of that? Turn on the television, and you get these incredibly different accounts of what's going on right now.
1: Yeah. I think that's exactly right. Comey, I, my, my post that I did uh, uh, that we talked about earlier is titled James Comey Novelist. And he writes this yep, statement yep. in a kind of a novelistic fashion. He clearly believes that he's the hero of the story. You know, In yep. his own mind, there's no doubt about that. What I said in my post is that, well, he thinks he's the hero. Uh, to me, he comes across more like Sid Sawyer or Master Bliffle. You know, the the goody two-shoes who's actually scheming, you know, to destroy the the real hero of the story.
0: And what story is that, literary reference man?
1: Oh, Tom Jones, Master Bliffle, uh, Tom Jones' (laughs) (laughs) half-brother.
0: Tom Jones. All right. I saw the movie. Yeah. All right. Very good. Uh, John Henderocker, as always, thank you very much. And Center of the American Experiment, continue your great work. And it will, I know, under your leadership.
1: Thank you so much, Bill. You are listening to The Bill Bennett Show.
0: Okay, folks, welcome back. Joel Farkas, you've heard Joel before. He's a colleague of mine and director of the American Strategy Group. Uh, We're about the defense of the nation and one of the things that we strongly believe at the American Strategy Group is that uh, the arsenal of democracy is a very important idea. That is, uh, when the economy is strong, when the country is strong in terms of growth and the economic circumstance of the nation uh, is broad-shouldered, the country is in a much better position to defend itself. Uh, I always remember, I remember when I was writing my history book, I remember uh, the stories that I read in some of the original sources about those tanks rolling off the assembly line in Detroit, going off to Europe, and the Germans had never seen anything like it, their number and their power. This is what the arsenal of democracy can do. It's very important for us to be strong. No one knows more uh, about that and has thought more about that in our view than uh, Joel Farkas. He is a director of the American Strategy Group. He knows about America's strength and its resources, and he joins us again today. Hey, Joel. How are you, Bill? Great, great, great to have you back, and we thank you. Um, Let me jump in. Uh, I guess the debate has started. I know it's going to be joined when we get into the whole tax uh, question for the Trump administration. When Donald Trump talks about fair trade, fair
3: trade, what's he talking about? He wants to do just what any fair trade agreement, free trade agreement would do, which is allow countries and companies to trade with one another without barriers, without tariffs, without uh, fair competition. And
0: this this is an ideal or this is something that is in practice? I mean, are there countries that practice fair trade? Uh, When you hear the president speak, it seems as if they're all cheating or all cheating on us. That's where he loads his arguments. But are there countries that have actually followed the principles of fair trade?
3: Well, using the United States agreement uh, commonly known as NAFTA, North American okay, Free Trade good. Agreement. Um, that's with the United States, Mexico, and Canada. And it has a beautiful name. It says a, a free trade agreement. However, the, the country of Mexico reserves for itself, it, it accepts the entire energy industry in Mexico. Canada restricts through tariffs its agricultural industry. That's not free trade. That's a trade agreement, it's, a, it, it's something, but it's not a free trade agreement, and that's what President Trump is addressing.
0: Right, explain what you mean when you say they accept that, they accept energy in Mexico, accept agriculture in Canada. What do you mean they, they accept it,
3: or, or, or it's an exception? Stated in NAFTA, uh, Article 6 in Section 2 is about energy, and it's one of the easiest articles to read because it's only a few pages. Mexico reserves for itself everything to do with the energy industry, exploration and production, all the way through uh, distribution of oil and gas through the retail sales of gasoline. It's a sovereign protection for the country of Mexico. Canada has what they call a supply management system that's also accepted from NAFTA. They openly acknowledge that the protection and and reservation of their agricultural industry is their goal. It's a stated goal. It's a practice. And it's furthermore accepted and not included in this presumably called free trade agreement. President Trump is simply saying, let's change that. That's not free. That's not fair. Let's change that so the United States, Mexico, and Canada can create what is really stated is a fair movement of goods. A restriction. Do we
0: reserve some aspect of our economy the same way that Canada does in agriculture and
3: Mexico with energy? We reserve little. The entire agreement is basically uh, there's a few things in the agreement that says this is what our stated goals are, but most of it is a protection of hundreds of industries and thousands of products. Okay. And to the extent either Mexico or Canada try to open their markets marginally, while they by state they're opening the um, the market for foreign investment, they further, though, control the prices of whatever you're selling. And in addition to that, they control how you distribute it and to whom you sell it. Uh, an example of uh, an American company going to Mexico to build a power plant. You'd want to build a power plant to produce energy for your, your own use. You'd want to build it for a cogeneration. You might want to be a power provider. Well, you really can't do that under uh, the North American Free Trade Agreement, because whatever it is you produce for your own use, you can use anything beyond that. You are required to sell to one entity and one entity only, and that's the Federal Electricity Commission. The United States doesn't have a Federal Electricity Commission. The country of Mexico does. They control all distribution of electricity.
0: I see. I see. Now, uh, we're getting the shaft on this. Is that right, when it comes to these two things and other things? And, of course, the president is often talking
3: about China in this regard. Well, what the president wants is a fair and free trade. And, what he, and the president, by simply discussing trade, is accused of disrupting trade. The mm-hmm. discussion doesn't disrupt trade. The discussion... In, his, in the president's uh, efforts and what he stated is to improve it, to make it free. What he is really saying is it is not free. Now, there's a lot of debate as to who benefits from a, from a free trade agreement, who's getting the shaft, who's improving, who's, who's benefiting. But if it's not, if one thing that's indisputable is that these trade agreements are not free trade agreements. They're more like faux trade agreements. They're, they're, they're something, but it's not a free movement of President Trump wants to pursue that.
0: Is this what the border adjustment tax, which we've heard about some, is aimed to uh, correct or ameliorate?
3: Something like the border adjustment tax or a tariff is a strategy to bring your trading partners to the table. Nobody grows themselves through taxation. But back to your comment about how these agreements uh, might harm the United States. The United States uh, gets accused of talking about tariffs or taxes. Well, our trading partners might say they don't impose a tax, but what they do impose is a price control and a sole source purchaser of whatever product it is. There's no economist that could possibly say free trade is an unmitigated good and then say price controls and limiting to whom you can sell something is okay. Either you have free trade or you don't. Either you have free movement prices or you don't. Either you can sell your product to a vast array of consumers or, or businesses or you don't. You cannot say you have a free trade agreement. And then allow the restrictions in the next paragraph.
0: I see. What's the future of this? I mean, do you okay. think he'll he'll have his way on this? I've heard a number of senators, even some conservative senators like Tom Cotton, say, "No, no, 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 you can't have these border adjustments and things." And and you know, the Trump administration says, "Look, we got to people got to be fair, and we have to fight back if they're not being fair." Will we see the undoing of NAFTA? Do you think because of this?
3: I think we're going to see the improvement of NAFTA if President Trump cannot modify this. No one can. And he is uniquely qualified and situated to improve NAFTA. And I mentioned earlier, there's thousands of products and hundreds of industries that are covered under NAFTA. Let's take energy, for instance. There is no question that there's a mutual interest between Canada, the United States, and, and Mexico on energy. No question. 23 years ago, when NAFTA was approved... The notion was that Mexico produced oil, America bought oil, and it was that simple. Today, Canada is a significant producer. The United States is one of the largest. Mexico is a large producer. But more specifically, Mexico, in order to power their electric grid, they need natural gas. They don't have it. They can buy it and are buying it currently from the United States. What NAFTA can do and what President Trump could do is not just simply look at the production of a product of oil and gas, but deal with the distribution pipelines. I we, see. It's been in the news. I see. We restricted Canada from building a, a, a Keystone pipeline. Why couldn't we allow, through NAFTA, pipelines from Canada, the United States, and through Mexico to distribute all of the energy that's being produced? To produce it and not be able to distribute it doesn't
0: work. You need both. Hey, Joel, this has been a great primer on free trade and NAFTA, one of the best and clearest explanations I've ever heard. If listeners want to learn more about these issues and your work, they can go to amstrategy.org, amstrategy.org, or facebook.com slash amstrategy. Thank you, Joel.
3: You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show.
0: All right, we now have the privilege of continuing my exclusive series of interviews with my friend and one of America's titans of business, Steve Wynn. Steve is the chairman and CEO of Wynn Resorts and the new finance chair of the Republican National Committee. In our previous episode, Steve discussed how the American people saw through the false promises of the Democratic Party, whether it was Obamacare or Bernie Sanders selling free college. Steve, I think one of the big lessons of Donald Trump's victory was that we shouldn't underestimate the American people. They may not get it the first time around, but eventually they'll get it. Don't you agree? That's how Trump's got to be president. Yeah, yeah. The Democrats underestimated
2: Bernie Sanders and everybody underestimated the American public. They underestimated working people in Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin.
0: You bet. And Ohio. I want to go to some foreign policy stuff and get your, your take, particularly on some folks in Asia, but in, in, in a minute. But first I got to ask, since we're talking about Democrats and big money, what do you think about the president getting these uh, $400,000 speeches? By the way, it's my speaker's agency, because I'll have you know that uh, Bill Clinton called my brother his uh, lawyer and said, what agency is your brother with? And I I told him I was with the Harry Walker agency at the time. And he said, all right, I'll sign up with them. Well, the Clintons both signed up with them, and now Barack and Michelle have uh, signed up with them. They're getting the speeches. I'm not getting those speeches, (laughs) certainly not at those rates. Barack is getting $400,000. Yeah, and getting some criticism from his party on this. What do you think? I think that anybody who hasn't figured out that Barack Obama
2: is a snake oil salesman have, have, must have been out of town for the last eight years. When a guy looks at the camera from as president of the United States of America and says, if you want to keep your doctor, you can keep your doctor, period. If you want to keep your plan, yep. you can keep yep. your plan, period. Knowing that, he was, that it was false, the gall, the nerve, the arrogance you've got bit in the eye of the American public with a lie of that specific technical, deliberate lie is is an act of such that shows such poor character, such okay. low character. Yeah. I was so proud of that kid when he got elected and made that speech in 08 at that at that park yeah. in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. said, Wow, we're the only country that would show that we're colorblind like this.
0: I said Look the same me. thing. I said the same what thing. I blood. was on CNN and said so. I was so happy. I was
2: proud to be an American when this character Darn right. got elected. Darn right. And then he proceeded to take yeah. my, my positive energy or my positive opinion of him and smash it with a hammer. Yeah, I, sure I, 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 I may, at my age, be too old to be disillusioned. But I never thought I'd see a president lie like that or treat the American public with such t- disdain. And if Barack Obama was making a speech for $400,000 in this hotel, I'd be nauseous. Yep.
0: Let's, uh, let's talk
2: so about it. I other probably things. shouldn't say that because a lot of people stay here are my Democratic friends. And I support right. Democrats locally. And I know you
0: do. They'll they'll come back. Who wants to stay away from your place? Who wants to stay away from your place? I can't. I'm, st- I'm just you know. I'm just not an Obama fan. I, I, I was, yeah, no kidding. He I lost, lost me. He lost you at, at hello. He lost you at, at whatever whatever he the line me. is. Let's talk about this because this is a very interesting sort of turn. That the, the media has made on the, on the president, uh, and that is uh, relations with some of the tough guys, the strong men out there. Putin, uh, Kim Jong Un, uh, Duterte, if that's how you say it, Duterte in the Philippines, the guy who's, who's executing these drug dealers, sometimes extra extra legally. Uh, media say, well, he, he's soft. You know, tough guy Trump is soft when it comes to these guys because he says, I'll meet with them. I'll meet with him. He used the phrase, uh, it would be an honor to meet with Kim Jong-un. Uh, I, I, it doesn't bother me because I think he wants the meeting, and then I trust him in a meeting a lot more than I trust Obama, who famously said to Medvedev, you remember, well yeah, when I, got I, the quote, yeah, yeah. I got a lot more flexibility after the election. Yeah, you bet. So what about this uh, Trump? Is he uh, cowering in the presence of the tough guys of the world? No, Donald Trump
2: has got a, undefeatable sense of optimism and self-confidence yeah. <laughs> and believes that if he can get face to face with these people, yeah. he can make a difference. Yeah. And you got, you got it. You got to give him an boy for that. Yeah, I do. <laughs> uh, now those experiences that he relishes may turn out. He may be right or he may be disappointed. What you can count on is that he'll get the message. <laughs> once he gets sure. face-to-face with them. Sure. But as you, as you can see, Donald Trump's optimism and his confidence sometimes has an effect that you wouldn't expect. His optimism and confidence allowed him to launch those Tomahawk yeah. missiles yeah. And, then, and then turn around and tell it to Xi Jinping over dessert. And yeah. uh, that didn't hurt us at all. It told these people, sure, he's available, he's accessible, but he's still going to do what he thinks is right. So maybe we ought to talk to him, too, so that we can understand this president, so that we don't make any tactical mistakes with regard to him. So I like the exposure. I like the exchange. I'm not afraid of it. With 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 some
0: reservations, North Korea North Korea is an example. Yeah, I want you to talk about that. Cause you are a real expert on China. Does it make sense, or is this a fool's errand to, to think that you could have some leverage, sufficient leverage, with China, the U.S. or the U.S. president, so that they might exercise influence, positive influence, on North Korea?
2: Bill Bill, I want. I've been I've been there now for sixteen years, but I don't want. I don't want to confuse anybody. I'm not an expert. I'm a student of this subject, and I'm, I pay rapt attention to it to try and improve my understanding of our, our relationships with China because it's been so important to my employees and I, but, and me, but with regard to North Korea, uh, I was on a call, and I've listened to Henry Kissinger and other wonderful people IS, the Center for Strategic International Studies, and other people that I've had conversations with, this business with China and North Korea and the United States, Japan and uh, South Korea, is
0: Yes, it is very complicated, but we're glad to have someone like you guiding us through it. We have to leave it there for today, Steve, but we'll discuss the topic in more detail next week. All right, folks, that's a show. Tune in next week for more of The Bill Bennett Show.